This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack podcast. How much are you thinking about COVID these days? Remember when we used to talk about the waves of COVID sweeping the country? Everyone's attention was on it, obviously. You might not know that we're in a wave right now. And over the next few months, there are predictions millions of Australians are going to be infected or reinfected. So how worried should you be? And what does this mean for summer? We're going to get the rundown on COVID later. It might be something that you don't want to think about, but the warnings are there. So there are some updated vaccines being released. That's come out this week. You need to know about these details. So we'll be able to fill you in. Also, why were festival goers in Western Australia partying on a sacred Aboriginal site? How did that happen? First, though, hack. This is absolutely crazy. Sam Altman, the former CEO of OpenAI, is now joining Microsoft on Triple J. Yeah, there's been some huge drama in the AI world. Big stuff going down, you might have seen in the headlines. But for once, we're not talking about AI taking over the world next week, uh, the technology eclipsing the human brain. This time, it's actually human drama. And one of the biggest companies working on artificial intelligence has just sacked its co-founder, a guy who's basically considered the golden boy of AI. And you might think, who cares? But the tech community around the world is shaken because we don't really know why this happened, what's gone wrong here. Soon we're going to get into a bit of the detail, a bit of the context around this. But first, here's Angel Parsons. It's the kind of technology that we're told could save or destroy the world. In the background, we've heard a lot of talk about doomsday scenarios, existential risk and the singularity. I think it's going to be a great thing, but I think it's not going to be all a great thing. It's the most existential debate and challenge humanity will ever face. Yeah, artificial intelligence. It's been around for years, shaping our Insta algorithms in facial recognition software, even in plain old document scanning. But in the last year, there's one product that's really blown things up, ChatGPT. And OpenAI is the company that created this chatbot that's changed the world. Its co-founder is Sam Altman. He's a kind of tech golden boy. He's at the top of his game. He has the ear of world leaders and he's often treated like AI's kind of unofficial spokesperson. Here's Altman talking earlier this month. Welcome to our first ever OpenAI Dev Day. We're thrilled that you're here and this energy is awesome. And welcome to San Francisco. San Francisco has been our home since day one. The city is important to us and to the tech industry in general. We're looking forward to continuing to grow here. So we've got some great stuff to announce today, but first... But within the fortnight, he'd be fired. OpenAI has imploded. Nobody could have expected. The company behind ChatGPT just destroyed itself in the most spectacular fashion. Last Friday, OpenAI's board of directors fired its chief executive. And there are only six members on that board, including Altman and his co-founder Greg Brockman, who quit when Altman got the boot. Something that's important to note is the structure of this company is unusual. It started as a non-profit, but now has a for-profit arm to function and fund itself. So did Altman see this coming? Why was he fired? What happened that was so serious to spark such drastic action? Is the tech far more advanced than any of us thought? Is this all about the company's not-for-profit values? 
And how can just four people have such a huge say on the future of such a high-stakes company? They're questions that don't really have clear answers yet, but here's a little of what we do know. Mr Oldman's departure follows... Here's some of what the board had to say. ...which concluded that he was not consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to... The board no longer has confidence in his ability to continue leading open AI. Greg Brockman posted on X that he and Altman were shocked. Altman said the fallout and seeing people's support has been sort of like reading your own eulogy while you're still alive. And staff at OpenAI are really unhappy about their boss getting the sack. They've demanded that the board resign, that Altman gets rehired, or they'll walk too. The entire team at OpenAI, or many of the most important members, decided to leave in solidarity with Sam Altman. But is it too late? In this latest twist, Microsoft has announced that Altman will join the company to lead a new advanced AI research team. Hack on Triple J. Angel Parsons with that update. What a a twist. The Microsoft hiring of Sam Altman. What does this mean? Well, let's find out a bit more about who Sam Altman is, what his ultimate vision is, what all of this means. ABC reporter James Pertell is the host of a new AI podcast. It's called Hello AI Overlords. It's part of the ABC's Science Friction. And he's been looking into this and into Sam. And he's with us now. Hey, James, thanks for coming on Hack. Hello, Dave Overlord. (laughs) (laughs) I wish I was as powerful as AI, unfortunately. In the studio you are. Yeah, not yet, not yet. We just heard then Sam Altman's been hired by Microsoft, right, to head up its AI team. But what people may or may not know, Microsoft actually owns 49% of OpenAI. So it seems like everyone in this world is really connected. Yeah, so Microsoft bought into OpenAI in 2019. They made a $1 billion investment. That was back when it was just a tiny company. It was a bit of a risk, a bit of a gamble. Since then, they've been thrown in, you know, about another $10 billion more. So this gamble has really paid off. Yeah. And it started paying off about a year ago with the launch of ChatGPT. So how big is this news that Sam Altman is going to Microsoft? Like, it seems like it's just shaken the whole tech community. Sam Altman is synonymous with OpenAI. He's just been spent the last year traveling around the world trying to sell OpenAI's vision of the future to the world. Yeah, you called it a bit of a Kentucky tour. Kentucky tour, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, instead of getting drunk under a statue, he was talking to Joe Biden. And <laughs> so he's, he's put all this time in, into selling a certain vision of AI to the world and suddenly he got fired. It just came out of nowhere. It's probably one of the biggest, most shocking tech stories of the past few years. Fundamentally, it's, it's, a, it's a boardroom battle at a multi-billion dollar company over futuristic technology that could save or destroy us. That's kind of the way it's framed. And ultimately, I think it's about money. Who actually is going to control these profits that come out of AI? Interesting. I mean, there's still so much we don't know about the reasoning behind this firing, where to from here. I want to get into a few of those issues in a bit, but maybe we take a step back because in this podcast, you've looked at who Sam Altman is, his history, what kind of guy he is. What's he been up to for all these years, James? Yeah, I mean, like everyone, I sort of saw him as this clean-cut tech dude. I was like, oh, Sam Altman, he's kind of vanilla. But actually, he's got this really interesting past. He, I mean, he's kind of classic Silicon Valley CEO. He's a young guy, kind of tech 
Wiz, who started his own app and then he became a CEO at a really young age. He was heading up Y Combinator, which is like the sort of main incubator for startups in Silicon Valley and is very influential. He was CEO of Reddit for a little while. So he's kind of deep within that Silicon Valley world of venture capital and tech. And, you know, he probably goes to Burning Man. He's, he's that kind of guy. He's also a prepper. Like, that's the other thing. He's got guns, gas masks, food, you know, medicine, all stowed away somewhere in, in like a desert hideaway. Okay. So he's kind of at that <laughs> that real Silicon Valley edge, you know, slightly mystical, religious sort of techno-optimist. He's a real character and he just happens to be one of the people behind some of the most powerful technology in the world. (laughs) I don't know what to think about that. He wants to have super intelligent AI, right? Like he's made no secret of that. Has he said much about the ethics around it, about doing it safely, what what his vision is in that regard? Yeah. So in 2015, he and Elon Musk and a few others founded OpenAI. And they did this with the specific aim of developing super intelligent AI, which they called AGI, Artificial General Intelligence. And they thought they should do it through OpenAI and keep it non-profit, keep it open source so they share all the software with the world and the research so that big tech doesn't dominate this technology. The funny thing is, is that you fast forward, what's it, eight years, and we're now in a position where either OpenAI kind of dominates the technology or Microsoft does, which is like one of the largest, oldest tech companies in the world. So along the way to developing AGI, to kind of building up all the resources, to getting all the computing power, to getting billions of dollars of investment to build these models which turn into ChatGPT, they've had to make deals with big tech. And they've had to, you know, I would say sell out on some of those original principles. That's so interesting. Like so many other things, the intentions that they started out with or he started out with, very different to how it's ended up. I mean, he's basically considered this golden boy of AI now. Does he like this status? I think he loves it. Yeah. As you mentioned, he went on this Kontiki tour of world (laughs) leaders. (laughs) I wonder if he thinks of it as that. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) Yeah, he's been very public for the last year or so, traveling the world and trying to present a, a sort of clean cut, honest, intelligent, sophisticated face to regulators and to governments. And he's been very good at it, described as the explainer in chief of AI. So he's not necessarily across all the, the technology, not necessarily across kind of how to make the AI, but he's good at explaining it. So now that he's gone to Microsoft, who knows what will happen. I think Microsoft will try and build open AI within its own company and have total control over that. Wow. I mean, the communicator element's interesting as well because as we've seen so many times in the past in Silicon Valley, if you're a good communicator, you can make so much happen. I'm thinking of Elizabeth Holmes. I'm thinking (laughs) of Theranos, that kind of thing. Well, that's the funny thing because this thing of AGI, super intelligent AI, we're kind of treating it seriously, but actually a lot of experts say, this is crazy. It's decades and decades away. We're not going to get close now. But Altman has been able to popularize this idea that we're five to 10 years away. And we might look back and say, oh, he was a genius and, and you know, he was right. Or we might look back and say, he was snake oil salesman. Like, we're not that close. Interesting. Right. So a lot of people are saying we're not there, we're nowhere near there yet. Yeah. He's, okay. he's got a certain vision of where AI, AI is going, but not everyone agrees. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking to James Pertil about his podcast, Hello AI Overlords. He's looking into Sam Altman, the co-founder of OpenAI, which invented ChatGPT. 
So much going down in this space at the moment. You would have been seeing it in the news headlines. James, in your podcast, you spoke with the Australian guy who developed the language model that opened the door to chat GPT. What did he have to say? That's Jeremy Howard. He's a fascinating guy. He's born in Melbourne. He moved to Silicon Valley, kind of started all these tech companies, great success. He saw the, the potential in machine learning really early on. And he developed, as you said, that language model that ultimately was used, partly used to develop ChatGPT. He's seen this technology go from something that's shared freely between academics, between companies, and researchers are all working towards this common goal, to a technology that's kind of been captured by big tech companies. You've got Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, and Google as the big companies that are kind of dominating this technology. And he's really scared that it's going to be so powerful but it's going to be controlled by ultimately just a handful of individuals. Yeah, you had this warning in your podcast. Here's what he had to say. They'll be vastly, vastly powerful. And so, yeah, what happens to the rest of us in that situation? Well, we don't really have much to add, do we? You know, we're, we, we then become, most of the world then becomes actors with little ability to generate surplus economic value. Given that already right now, the humans in the world who we feel that cannot generate huge amounts of surplus economic value, we treat like absolute crap. You should assume that when we're, most of us are like that, we'll be treated exactly the way that we treat those people now. Okay, cool. Mm. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Dan? Oh, it's a bit disturbing, isn't it? I mean, do you generate surplus economic value? No, <laughs> I absolutely don't. Come on. I'm a little worried now. Who else did you speak with in the podcast, James? Yeah, we spoke with Rewan Child, who used to work at OpenAI, and he told us a bit about what it was like actually working with Sam Altman and, and the kind of atmosphere of excitement as ChatGPT was being built. Yeah. You know, you know, as, as they were playing around with ChatGPT like we do now, making it write little stupid poems and stuff, they were doing that in 2019. Yeah. And they could sort of see that future developing, but just in private. I thought that was interesting, the kind of story that you tell leading up to the explosion in popularity and all of the people who were involved in this development had no idea that it was yeah. going to take the world by storm like this. Well, for them it was just like, yeah, ChatGPT, sure. They were completely taken by surprise. Who else did you speak with? Um, Margaret O'Mara, she's a Silicon Valley historian. You know, she's looked at the kind of way that what's happening to open AI has happened before. We've seen it at Google where they start out with these kind of lofty ideals. Google's first motto was don't do evil. And then they quietly kind of got rid of that. And now they don't really talk about it yeah. anymore. And maybe we're seeing something similar at OpenAI where focus on research and on building a better future is being kind of overtaken by the profit motive or not because the events of the last weekend have shown that the board is reasserting its commitment to that original principle of developing AI for the benefit of all humanity. And anyone who disagrees with that might go and work at Microsoft. Interesting. So, I mean, you've been exploring AI for months now. And I mean, the podcast isn't over. There's more to come. How are you feeling about <laughs> state of the world, AI generally? Are you feeling better or worse about this technology after exploring it, researching it for so long? I'm more sceptical of the whole AGI thing, of, oh. of the idea that we're going to get to super intelligent AI very soon and it's going to kind of take over like that. But I'm more worried than ever about the potential for kind of dumb biased AI to be rolled out and for it to dominate our lives, taking away a little bit of the profit from every industry. I'm worried that the people who are in control of AI right now don't really care what happens to me or you. 
James, it's such a good listen. Like it's really easy to follow. And if you're curious about how this all started, where it came from, who these people are, go listen. Science Friction, Hello AI Overlords. It's out now. Host James Pertill. So good to have you back on Hack. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dave. Hack on Triple Jack. And so many messages on the text line. Nick from Perth says, I always thought that Microsoft were going to try to embrace, extend and extinguish open AI and the open AI board just gave them a wide open door to do so. Another person says, you can say that AGI is a long way away, but ChatGPT has blown the door off AI and this has been revolutionary for so many jobs and tasks. Even if it is a bit dopey, that's progress. And another person says people think of AI as some high-tech concept involving robots one day taking over the world. But the reality is it could have huge legal issues for writers and artists everywhere. Most AI uses stolen content without reference. I'm an artist from New South Wales who's currently having to use software to stop AI from scraping my images. Really interesting stuff. And the podcast, as I said, very interesting explores so many different aspects of AI. Go check it out. Hack. An Aboriginal elder in Western Australia has slammed festival goers for partying on a sacred rock. On Triple J. There's a really sacred place in a community west of Perth that's deeply significant for local Aboriginal people. It's a beautiful ancient rock, and experts say it's some of the oldest rock in the world. And when you look at it, you can see that it's something special. It's called Wave Rock, but known to Aboriginal people as Katakesh. Recently, there was a big music music festival that was held nearby called the Wave Rock Weekender. And over the years, acts like Spacey Jane, Stella Donnelly have played there. But this year, hundreds of the partygoers were leaving the official event area and partying on the rock, on the sacred site. And obviously it's really angered some in the community who are calling for better protection, more awareness, obviously respect from the public. Here's Brianna Fiore. Dressed in fluoro and bohemian-styled harem pants, a group of festival goers drink and party on a 2.7 billion-year-old sacred Australian rock. It looks like it's been frozen in time in the shape of a wave. To a local elder, they look like they're oblivious to the disrespect they're showing. Saw them all running around there, like, you know, drinking and carrying on. I was thinking to myself then that this is going to be chaos tonight, and it was. The Wave Rock Weekender Music Festival is held in a caravan park in Hyden, a rural town about 300 kilometres east of Perth. The party is next to Wave Rock, also known as Catacetch to Indigenous Australians. And there's also sacred rock art in nearby caves. Baladong elder Farley Garlett says he was disappointed to see people from the festival climbing on the rock with alcohol. You could see what was going to happen. It was The numbers were there. Of course, it's like when you see at most festivals. I mean, the, the, the security guards were standing around. They were just watching for people not parking right, fighting, other things of like, you know, probably important to, to white fellas and not black fellas. Farley Garlett says Wave Rock needs to be protected. This belongs to not only to us Aboriginal people, and it's significant to us Aboriginal people, but it's also part of the, the white race too. They, that's their ownership too as well. So they need to protect this stuff and show some respect as well. We don't go climbing on their churches and their other, other things that are important to them. We show respect for all of that. So we just ask them to do the same thing. One festival goer I spoke to says he doesn't think people even know that Wave Rock is special. I think 0% would know. And I think if they did know, they would probably treat it pretty differently to like how it's been treated now, similar to Bulleroo. The man we spoke to says there should be more education on the significance of the site. So I think if there was like maybe more education around 
what it means to Indigenous people. If it if it is like WA's version of Uluru, mm. maybe people wouldn't be drinking on it or walking on it. Some festival goers rejected allegations they were being disrespectful and say they are just appreciating the rock's natural beauty. Others didn't want to chat about it at all. Literally. Go back to the party if that's okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Supersonic Australasia put the festival on. Paul Sloan's their managing director, and he told the ABC they'd been consulting with the Collard family, who are local traditional owners, for the past 18 years. He said in addition to the welcome to country and smoke ceremony, the Collards stay at the festival for many hours to talk to patrons and share their knowledge and stories. Paul Sloan also claimed that their audience was more respectful than the average tourist. But Farley Garlett says it's not good enough. You know, it's just, it's just crazy stuff. A welcome to country doesn't give you the right to do all that stuff. Paul Sloan says they're taking this feedback on board. He says the festival had security preventing alcohol from leaving the caravan park event area. But the festival's social media shows people were drinking outside this area. David Burton is the chief executive officer of the Condinan Shire, which is responsible for the management of Wave Rock. He says he doesn't condone what happened and he'll raise it with organisers. Balladong elder Farley Garlett says people need to educate themselves and show more respect. And I think those young kids need to go and read a little bit of history, go to the, go to the rock, read the story, go to Mulcahy's Cave, read the story, and probably they might even see it in a different light. Don't be up to acting a fool. Hack on Triple J. Brianna Fiore with that story. And you can go check out pictures of Wave Rock online. It's an incredible uh, sacred site. Find out a bit more information about it. Someone on the text line, Hixie, said, I think that rock might actually be east of Perth, Davo, not west. Yeah, sorry, Hixie. That is something an over-easter like me would say, isn't it? I, I, got, it, I got it mistaken. I meant, I meant east, not west. Pack. They believe hundreds of thousands of Australians currently have the virus. On Triple J. COVID updates were so much part of our daily lives for so long that it's understandable that a lot of us want to do everything we can to block it from our minds, right? But the reality is COVID cases are exploding in Australia right now. We're in another big wave and we're being warned the closer we get to summer, the worse it's going to get. Hack. COVID cases are on the rise again, with Australia now entering its eighth wave of the virus in the lead-up to Christmas. Two new COVID vaccines will soon be available in Australia. COVID-19 XBB 1.5 vaccines. It makes sense to make sure your boosters are up to date. Queensland's in the middle of another COVID wave. Staff and patients in high-risk hospital clinical areas will be required to wear masks from Monday. Doctors say people need to take personal responsibility and not go to hospitals or aged care centres if they're sick. A lot of my mates are coming down with COVID at the moment, so I wanted to get you on. We've had countless waves of Omicron, so at least it's not a new variant. On Triple J. Yeah, so what's going on with this latest wave and with vaccines, boosters, because there's been some big updates there this week. Well, Professor Catherine Bennett is the Chair of Epidemiology at Deakin University and she's with us now. Professor Bennett, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. My pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Just how bad is this wave of COVID? Because I was seeing estimates that millions of people could be infected in the months ahead. So this is an um, a not unexpected wave. We know that um, as our immunity wanes and as some new variants move in, you get that tip over where you, you start to see those infection rates rise again. And we predicted this for late spring. 
Um, and a few months ago, we actually saw some variants come on the scene. Eris, you might recall people talking about, and then um, uh, another variant followed shortly after Parola. These have also led to a rise in cases overseas as they've gone into their fall season, particularly in places like the US. So we knew that with their rising cases, we might hold off a bit longer, but that it was inevitable it would happen here. Each, each wave has thankfully not been quite as impactful as the previous one here in Australia. Each wave has seen less people testing positive in hospital or going to hospital for COVID, but it still is something we have to be aware of because our infection risk goes up. Everyone's now talking about knowing someone with COVID and that's what starts to happen. You get that infection rate rising, it means everyone's exposure has risen as well. So it's important that people are aware of that, but Sadly, you know, this is something we're familiar with and, and we know what um, what happens if we modify our own risk of contracting the virus, if we get a booster, if we haven't had a recent booster. Um, all of those things can just help us get through this peak a bit more safely. So are the symptoms with this variant different uh, previous symptoms or is it pretty much the same? So it, the Eris is the one that's driving this particular outbreak at the moment, the EG 5.1 variant we're seeing in Australia, responsible for more than half the infections that they're genotyping up in New South Wales. So um, it, it presents a bit differently in different people as well. Some people will just, you know, say it's it's actually not like a respiratory illness at all. You have the fatigue or headaches or backaches or other things going on. So it does present a little differently in different people, but generally the pattern of infection um, symptoms is similar. So broad, variable, some people be getting quite unwell still, some people not. But um, yeah, it's 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 not outside what we've seen in previous variants, but it continues to um, surprise some people because it can be more a gastro or headache than it is something that you'd call, you know, a cough or a, a sneeze. I guess the big concern is the impact that it might have on the health system because we've seen big numbers in the past really put a lot of strain on the health system. Is that one of the big worries at the moment? Well, thankfully, the impact on high hospitals has not been as high with each wave. Um, it always gets more complicated if you go into a busy season for our hospitals anyway. So in winter, we were worried about the coincidence with flu and RSV and other things that were also putting people in hospital. Um, this wave, you know, as we come towards the end of the year, people mixing more, that's what makes people a bit more anxious about it. And I think people are estimating high infection rates. But we didn't see quite what we'd expected last summer wave. And that partly is because summer works in our favour, but it's it really only works in our favour if people take advantage of it. And so spend more time outdoors when they're mixing with people that they're not mixing with all the time, you know. Um, that's being focused on ventilation or um, not going out if you've got symptoms, testing and and being mindful of that. So all of those things might get us through this next period. And, and we could, if we look at the Northern Hemisphere, the, the EG 5.1 wave, which we're seeing now, actually passed through in the normal time. But what happened there was it didn't drop away completely um, to lower levels that we'd normally see between waves. It's kind of held high because they've got another variant, HV1, which we haven't seen yet, helping pick up more cases now so the infections are still there. And that might happen with us. We've got this other Parola variant, which is um, looks quite different. It's got lots of mutations. But really the difference there is, again, not so much about symptoms it's probably a bit less transmissible than this Eris variant, 
but it's it's again how our immune system sees it and that's why um you know they're they're uncertain potentially how this will play out it might be that we we get a peak and we get through that peak in the next couple of weeks particularly in victoria it started a bit earlier in victoria but it might be that our numbers don't drop right away but that we still see a you know the sort of a mid-range infection rate over the, the busy mixing period. And Professor Bennett, we've just got a minute left, but I was wondering the vaccines that the federal government's announced this week, how are they different from the other ones? Like how effective are they against uh, this wave? Well, the, the vaccines we have, the bivalent ones that are available now, they are still effective against these variants. The monovalent ones might be a bit more effective. We don't exactly know with the particular variants circulating at the moment because the vaccines weren't tested against them. But the you know the, our TGA body thinks that would there could be a modest improvement again. That's why they've moved down this pathway. But the most important thing is now to not necessarily wait another twenty days for a vaccine if people are more than six months since their last infection and they haven't had a booster this year, you're much better off getting the current boosters that are available because they do work against these variants and it might be just enough to get you through this wave safely. Okay, that's good advice. Professor Catherine Bennett from Deakin University, thank you very much for joining us on Hack with that update. Thanks, Dave. Hack on Triple J. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. I'll catch you next time.